Hey, welcome everybody. This is the State of the CIO, where we talk with America's top IT leaders about the changing role of technology in the C-suite. I'm your host, Dan Kelly. Hey everyone, I'm thrilled to have Tim Campos on the podcast today. You may recognize Tim Campos's name from his time at Facebook, where he served as the Senior Vice President and CIO for the company from 2010 to 2016. In 2016, Tim decided to depart Facebook to become founder and CEO of Woven based on his personal frustrations with calendar management inside of Facebook. Woven provides powerful scheduling tools that use AI to help its customers become more efficient and effective. Not only does the platform help you schedule time with others, but also predicts when certain meetings would or would not be appropriate through its machine learning capabilities. Tim has a BS in electrical engineering and computer science from UC Berkeley, as well as an MBA from Columbia Business School and UC Berkeley High School of Business. Hey, Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, like we like we opened up our conversation, uh, congratulations on joining the worldwide community of entrepreneurship and founders. <laughs> I hope it's been nothing but success for you so far. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely, well, I, it was specifically something I wanted. I'm very deliberate about my career. It's actually one of the things that has been successful for me. And, you know, you got to begin with the end in mind. And one of the reasons it was that it was time for me to leave Facebook is I knew that this entrepreneurial journey was something that I, I wanted to have as a big part of my career. I wasn't getting any younger. And, you know, Facebook wasn't that entrepreneurial journey. It was an important and highly valued part of my life, but it wasn't going to teach me the things that really you can only experience as uh, an entrepreneur. And so it has been an amazing journey. We could have a whole podcast on the learnings and the insights of, you know, going from the secure, comfortable job of, you know, the executive corner suite to the scrappy, like near death experience constant near-death experience of startup founder CEO to talk about fundraising and venture capital and all this other kind of stuff because you know at the end of the day it is a it is a very very challenging role but also incredibly rewarding oh yeah well absolutely the the personal reward comes from, besides the money just the uh, the personal satisfaction knowing that you built something from the ground up is uh yeah I mean I uh, I give you a little nugget you know my uh my, my secret to the meaning of life is that we, we exist to struggle. And it's not just the struggle that we care about, it's overcoming the struggle that is what is rewarding to us. And I give a little example of this for sports fans that, you know, which is more exciting of a Super Bowl to watch? Is it, you know, the one where the favored team just crushes and wins 55 to 10? Or... Is it the one where the favored team falls way behind, three touchdowns down, it looks like it's over, and then somehow they come back at the very last minute and win the game? It's the la most people would say the latter. And it's because, you know, we don't want to know the answer of how it's going to end. And we don't want it to be easy. We want life to be full of ups and downs. And it's just kind of how we're built and wired. And the entrepreneurial journey is probably the most extreme professional example of this. That it's not easy, but you get to you know have huge ups as well as huge downs. Yeah, tell me, Tim, did I miss anything in the introduction that you might want to just uh, provide to our audience of kind of how you how you came to be in your career? And you know, also, I'd specifically like to know when did you knew know you were an entrepreneur, if you will. You know, we use that term kind of loosely, but when when did you know that you 
wanted to go off and do your own thing. Was it was it before you even started your career? Was it in school? Was it during Facebook? I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. First off, just to complete the picture, uh, you know, my I've always I'm a technologist. I've always been a technologist ever since I was probably six or seven years old. I love taking things apart. As you pointed out, I was an engineer, uh, but I'm also really passionate about business. You know, so the, the reason to go get the MBAs, the, the reason why I became a CIO is because those are it's a very business oriented role. I love learning and understanding how companies work and helping to make them more efficient. I'm a board member of two companies, uh, one very well known, which is Rackspace, another one, which is a publicly traded company called Biabi. And so I'm very, very passionate about that side of my career. But to get to answer your question about the entrepreneurial journey, I think this started for me when I was a kid. You know, I used to put out flyers in my neighborhood to say, hey, you know, I'm, you know I'll mow your lawn for you for six bucks or 10 bucks or however much I charged back then. And, you know, that was one of my first jobs. And uh, as I... It had a great profit margin, right? Yeah. <laughs> As I got older, you know, I, you know, I, I, I had a paper route when I was really young. That was, a, you know, an entrepreneurial journey for me. Even in my professional career, you know, I was always attracted to the, the startup or the growing, the post-startup growing company, which is what Sybase was and Facebook was. And, and then I, I worked at a startup called uh, Portera Systems. So I've always been very fascinated about it. I think the one thing that I haven't, hadn't done before leaving Facebook is create my own. And that was a journey of sort of, I'll say practicality, but also courage. Practicality that, you know, earlier in my career, I, you know, I, I, I had obligations. I had wife and kids and stuff like that. I mean, I still do, but I, you know, I was constantly worried about whether or not I could put food on the table for them and have a house over our heads, especially living in Silicon Valley, it's expensive as it is. But I think the other side of it, the courage side is just knowing that you're never going to have all that stuff figured out. And at some point, you got to do what your heart tells you you got to do. And that doesn't come from a decision that's easy, right? It's usually a hard one. One that, like in my case, a lot of people were like, why the hell would you leave Facebook? I can't believe you. Are you crazy? You were the CIO of Facebook. Like, by the way, what's it like to work with Mark Zuckerberg? You know, that's, I get all of those questions. Now. Thanks to Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, here we are a couple of years later, and people look back at that time and they're like, you were so smart to leave Facebook, right? Right around the end of 2016. But, you know, I didn't do any of this for their approval. I didn't do any of this for them. I did this for me. This is my journey that I wanted to, to follow. And yeah, Facebook's fallen on some hard times, but that wasn't why I left. The reason I left is I wanted to do the entrepreneurial journey. I went to what became my company, what became Woven. That's what I was seeking. Right. Now you finally arrived at where you're always meant to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it feel comfortable and, and completely scary at the same time? Oh, it's totally scary. Totally scary. <laughs> I mean, I got so much wrapped into this, not the least of which is, you know, capital, reputation, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I think that's part of what's motivating, what's exciting about the entrepreneurial journey. You know, I'm, I'm in the same category as some really, really big companies, companies like, you know, Google and and Microsoft and Calendly and others. And while I don't necessarily like to call us competitors with any of those guys, you know, the fact of the matter is that they have figured out the business side of things at a level that, you know, we're, we're still working on. So that's kind of intimidating, but we have far more motivation than Google or Microsoft. Take the biggest examples of these guys to make the calendar a different, more valuable, more effective product than they do. Because this is all we do. This is all we think about. You know, and 
if I don't feel like I'm hitting our goals or that we're hitting our goals, you know, I'm going to change our strategy right away. I'm not going to wait a couple months. I'm not going to, you know, ah, it's no big deal. If this product doesn't work out, this is who we are. And the entrepreneurial journey is full of stuff like that. And that's, I think, why startups overall tend to outperform companies. Oh, absolutely. The nimbleness is refreshing, isn't it? I mean, just the fact that uh, you can make a decision in a split second without having to make a committee to make a committee to make a decision. <laughs> well, don't get me wrong. Every decision that I make, I have to you know, reach out to my chief counsel, my VP of HR, the CFO, also the head of facilities, janitorial services, and the CIO. They just all happen to be the same person. So yeah. it makes it easy meeting. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. So Tim, tell me what you're most passionate about. And then and then I'd like to learn a little bit more about Woven. And I'd, I'd like to figure out how those two weave together, no pun intended, if you will. But I really, because I, I, I know you have a real passion in, in productivity um, and how this all came about. And I know that because of what you've shared publicly already, as well as obviously a very strong desire and uh, education and track record essentially in building software platforms. So, so tell me how, how your passion has driven all of this and, and uh, how it's fueled your growth. Well, my passion, as I outlined earlier, is, is technology and, and business. I love the fusion of those two things. Uh, and that's what led me to create my own technology company. Uh, but on top of that, uh, I'm, I'm very passionate about productivity. This has been you know, a, sort of a lifelong uh, focus for me, starting from my first professional job when I worked at Sybase. The person's productivity that I was most focused on there was my own. I had a very, very boring job. I just kind of ridiculous that they were paying me to do something as mindless as what they were paying me to do as, a, as an intern there. So I automated it. I wrote a bunch of software that said, here's all the things I got to do in a day. And it takes me eight hours to do it. And I got it to a point where I could do my job in about 15, 20 minutes. And that motivation uh, to, to do that led to, instead of them saying, oh, cool, you automated yourself out of a job bye-bye quite the opposite they're like wow can you do this for other things and you know Sybase never got rid of me that summer internship lasted four and a half years and I continued to evolve and as I became a software engineer and started really building things particularly in the enterprise space my job was a very much building technology to help businesses achieve business outcomes as a CIO that's basically the job is to now use technology to deliver those, uh, those business outcomes. So I've always been very passionate about productivity and that's ultimately what led me to, to Woven. You know, Woven is uh, basically an intelligence layer for the calendar. It makes your existing calendar smarter, capable of doing things that your calendar should be able to do, but it doesn't, right? So make it easier to schedule events, make it easier to find the times that work for multiple people and make it easier to associate information with those events so you're properly prepared for them when you walk in the door. And, you know, I've been passionate about this because the calendar is on the one aspect of productivity that is most constrained. That's time. Time is the most valuable asset we have. There's only 24 hours in a day and it doesn't matter who you are. You can be Mark Zuckerberg, Tim Campos, John Doe, we all have 24 hours in a day. And the thing that defines us, it's not that some, you know, very successful people have figured out how to get 36 hours in a day. It's that they just know how to spend their time better. So that is uh, something that I'm really passionate about. I'm interested in helping people spend time on the things that matter most to them. 
for some people that is going to be a professional endeavor for other people that might be a personal endeavor and for other yet other people it might be a philanthropic endeavor but what matters most is what we care about but what defines us is what we do and if we can fuse those two things together so i can help you spend time on what matters most then that's success now this is really really awesome tim i am curious how much of your personal accomplishments in productivity fueled how your software makes decisions through machine learning right so i guess what i'm asking is how much were you involved in the actual technical architecture of of the machine learning behind the platform itself well i'm you know a, a dirty little leadership secret is don't be the smartest guy in the room and that's absolutely the case with with my team my co-founder is a stanford phd worked at google worked at facebook he's got a bazillion different patents to his name uh, was doing machine learning, you know, in the late 90s before it was cool. So the guy is, is absolutely uh, brilliant. And, you know, from an architectural perspective, even there, we both kind of cheated. We were very much inspired by the way Facebook is built. So what makes Woven Go is a graph engine, which actually looks very similar to the innards of uh, how Facebook facilitates the social graph. Because calendaring is the same thing, right? You know, you got people that have connections with each other. There's a weight of relationship, an adjacency relationship between people. That relationship can be very valuable in helping to streamline the process of like who's more important to who and you know, what people might you want to involve in a particular event. But a graph is also quite extensible. It's very easy to take uh, something, you know, in, in Facebook speak, right? You know, you can take a, a person and you can connect them to a lot of different things. You can connect them to other people, to photos, to pages, to videos, to, to comments. And in the calendaring world, you know, you want to connect a calendar event to a lot of different things because a calendar event could be an interview. It could be a board meeting. It could be dinner um, with a reservation at open table. It could be, you know, a one-on-one -on -one with a staff member that's got a, a, a history of, of things that you guys want to focus on. In terms of that person's career development there's a lot of different kinds of things that you might want to connect your time to so we were very much inspired by the world that we came from and that's what uh sort of created the, the base architecture that is um that is woven and you know in terms of my contribution to everything it's really that i can keep up with my co-founder and make suggestions of product ideas that we should go off and build that uh, actually make sense and that's it you know he's, he's the one who figures out the uh you know the magic bits and bytes and all that kind of stuff. And he does it a bazillion times better than I ever could. Right. Right. Well, don't sell yourself too short because I heard from, uh, I heard from a little man on the street that you doubled productivity at Facebook between 2010 and 2016. <laughs> yeah, I should even uh, take credit for that in the right way that my team did that. It wasn't like I was walking around and, and doing it. And we were at a company that already was very productive and, and was very willing and open to do things differently. If anything was demanding it. You know, we, Facebook was not uh, the kind of company that was like, oh, we want to do it the old way because that's how you always have done stuff, right? You know, that is the antithesis of the culture there. It's quite the opposite. It's like, okay, we did it that way last year, but you know, we got 500 million more users this year. So we got to do it in a totally different way. And in fact, we're going to have to do it in yet another different way next year because we're going to have even more users or servers or interviews that we're going to have to process. So it's constantly reinventing itself, which meant that my team had to be able to not only keep up, but lead it. You know, how do you get in front of that? I was just fortunate enough. I had super smart people working for me that were really, really good at this. 
That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Now, now tell me uh, something. Uh, as I admitted to you before we started recording here, my firm is a heavy Calendly user. I find the tool very effective uh, in its very narrow focus. Tell me how how your uh, how your growth plan is to either compete or or coexist uh, with Calendly, and how is you're the same or different, perhaps, just so our our end users can learn a little bit more about Woven. For people who don't know what Calendly is, it's it's what I like to call a scheduling link tool or a scheduling tool, where you know you you can have a little URL like Calendly.com/tim/one-on-one, and it'll let you go find times that are free on my calendar and book. And, you know, that uh, eliminates some of the back and forth that exists in, uh, in scheduling. Calendly is used in conjunction with another calendar. So a Google or Microsoft Outlook or something like that. And that's what it does. And, you know, it's got a couple of other nifty features. But uh, for, the, for the most part, that, that core is what they are. It's the scheduling link. Now, how's Woven different from Calendly? First off, we do do a lot of the exact same things. You know, Woven has scheduling links like Calendly does, where you can go to woven.com slash Tim slash one-on-one and you can find free time on my calendar and then book it. However, there's a, several huge differences between us. First off, even in the, the Calendly use case, we have some pretty advanced capability for how you define where the system is going to go and find time. Woven has this notion of what we call a template, right? So it's a predefined meeting type. And it has all the characteristics of a meeting from who should be there to what's the time that that meeting should take place. Like what's the general window? Is it in the morning, evening, middle of the day, lunchtime? What's information that needs to be associated with that? And our scheduling links are integrated with templates so that, you know, when you go and you go to one of my scheduling links, sure, it can find the availability for me. But it also, if I set it up this way, it can find the availability for us, right? You know, the, a group of people. Like I have this right now for uh, the recruiters that are working with me. They have scheduling links. So they just press a button and it automatically goes and finds my co-founder's availability, finds my head of design's availability, finds, has the ability to schedule the meeting for the group of us because that's part of one of the interviews. So we're going to do a, a group panel session. They don't have to think, they don't have to have access to all of our calendar details. The system does all that stuff for them. So it's a lot more powerful than Calendly's thing is. The second thing that's different, nobody, when I, we went off and we were interviewing the market, nobody would ever use Calendly to schedule dinner with their wife, right? Or to spend time with a friend. And that's largely because the way that Calendly is built, it's more for sales or for like your kind of business where you're putting a little bit of work on the other person. The way that we build our, our uh, system is more like a gift of time. So it's like I'm giving you access to a portion of my calendar temporarily for the purpose of scheduling this an event. So you're not going to have to work so hard to find the times that, that uh, work for both of us. In fact, if you are a Woven user and I send you a scheduling link, Woven basically does all the work. Neither of us have to think. But even if you're not a Woven user, it's it's not a burden on the person who receives it. It's, it's much more... You know, the way that the product works is more like a gift of time. And as a result of that, we can use scheduling links in a lot of places that nobody would ever use. Uh, in fact, that's the predominant use case of our scheduling links is for one-off meetings that people might have between like a candidate and an interview or a maybe it's a, I need to have this particular team meeting with my staff. We're going to have a conversation around our Zoom integration. What's the time that's going to work for everybody? So that's basically the, the, the biggest two differences uh, between us and Calendly today. 
are you creating almost a connected community and ecosystem, if you will? I'm a huge ecosystem uh, fan. Obviously, you are too, based on your background. Are, are you creating almost uh, ecosystem of calendars uh, that, that speak to one another through essential middleware uh, that makes decisions for you to eliminate any sort of administrative time? Is that if I had to kind of sum it up in almost in one sentence from an outsider's perspective, is that fair or am I off base there? Uh, we don't talk about this very often, mostly because it's a uh, it's a concept that sort of uh, blows people's mind a little bit because they don't expect like, something like this to exist. But it's very accurate. You know, there is the woven graph. On the woven graph, people contribute to, they become members of uh, when they sign up and use the product. And they have their own little piece where they own their data. But because calendar events are often shared, right? You know, when I'm doing a podcast with you, this is my meeting and it's your meeting, right? Or if, you know, if I'm doing a board meeting, you know, there's, it's my meeting and all the board members meeting. So we, we share that. And there's some information we may want to share. And there's also things that are sort of private to us that we want to manage. So the interconnectedness, the, and this is why we chose the word woven, of that information is what makes up the graph. And we have built a system that is super powerful to enable the privacy and the ownership to be managed the way that people expect it to to be, but also that we can connect. And one of the first value propositions of that connection is scheduling, because scheduling is simply this idea that I want to meet with you, you want to meet with me, and we need to know when we each could meet together. And Woven has some very sophisticated mechanisms to easily do that. So that, like I said, if I'm a Woven user and you're a Woven user, it's almost a no-op. It's just a couple taps on my phone or on my desktop in order to schedule an event. Right. So essentially, you're eliminating two or three interactions with technology that's not needed. We're, yes, we're eliminating the need for the back and forth. I mean, what, what do people do here in place? I want to meet with you. You want to meet with me. We don't know when each other can meet. We'll drop down to email or text messaging, and I'll write down the, the options that work. Calendly deals with you know a part of that. It makes a, a, a universe where you can basically put the options onto a web page that I have to go sift through and, and search for to find the times that work. Woven starts with that idea, but enables a bi-directional sharing of, of information so that the system can do what the system really should be doing for us, which is the, the hard basic work of here are the options that are going to work for both. I think that's just how you sell it to uh, Microsoft right there, Tim. I think you just say you've got an ecosystem of calendars and just mic drop it right there. <laughs> we like to see, as, you know, we're very equal opportunity when it comes to calendar providers, Microsoft being one, Google is another. But really the thing that we're most interested in is the companies that are in uh, this whole space of the future of work. Because... Microsoft, to be quite frank, is really kind of the old school way of how people are going to do office, office productivity. Google Docs and Google Suite points to a newer way of doing it. But the way that it is being done is with Zoom, Slack, Airtable, Notion, Superhuman, Woven. Like That's the future of work right there. These next generation tools that are purpose built to you know, not only enable the right kind of collaboration, but to truly make people productive. Most people would not say Microsoft Outlook makes them more productive. They need it to communicate, but it's a, it's a bunch of work. They got to manage their email. They got to manage their calendar. Contacts in there are kind of like irrelevant to them compared to what you can get off of LinkedIn. That whole suite is really about work. Like I got to do work with that. 
But these other tools help me get that work done efficiently and effectively. Right. This is, it makes perfect sense to me. This is really enlightening. I, with those guiding principles that you just shared, how do you make decisions on how you're going to link to other technologies within the internet of things, if you will, which I hate that term, but you know what I mean by it, right? Everything out there that is a tool to help you become more effective and efficient. There's what we have today, arguably is a lot of point solutions, right? In which you've, you've created, which, uh, my company, your company probably uses, right? Zoom being one of them, very heavy users, probably saves us $50,000 a year just per end user that uses the platform, right? So just as an example, but a point solution uh, still requires me to go proactively do something. It's a tool that helps me communicate better versus let things uh, uh, happen naturally or use machine learning to essentially eliminate. I think of it like the 80-20 rule, right? So. How are you making those decisions of maybe who you partner with? and Yeah, I mean, I think first to start with, you want to make it so that you don't have to do a lot of work on any of that stuff. And one of the advantages of scheduling links, it allows us to incorporate woven into a lot of different places with a URL. So we've got this fantastic iMessage integration. It didn't require a bunch of back and forth with Apple to build this. It was a relatively easy thing to do. We've got a Slack integration that's on that's forthcoming that's kind of similar to that. So uh, you know, we built the product to be really easy to integrate with other things. But you know, we do have to think about you know, are, are we going to do Zapier? Are we going to do Zoom? Are we going to do Skype? What about WebEx? What about all these other different uh, companies and technologies? And so. One of the things that we have as a, as a huge asset is our user base, right? And not only do they tell us, but the information that exists within their woven environments and how they use the product basically points us to where to go. So we can see that our users are scheduling lots of meetings with Zoom. Therefore, Zoom is a more important thing to focus on than, than Skype. And so they tell us you know, what the right thing is to do. So we, you know, another thing that, that we can tell in, in terms of, this is less about integration, more about product prioritization, but do people schedule meetings with large groups of peoples or do they schedule meetings with one-on-ones? And, you know, which is the higher volume thing? Where's the greater pain point? And so our user base is really the most effective prioritization mechanism for us. And that's one of the reasons, so, <clears throat> excuse me, we love them and we're so grateful for the the time and the energy that they share with us because they really help us to understand where to focus our efforts. Heaven forbid, ask your customers what they want and then deliver it. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the things that, that made um, Zoom really successful. I, I was very intimately involved with Zoom's primary competitor, BlueJeans. Back in 2010, Facebook was a huge BlueJeans user. And certainly when we left, we were you know one of their largest customers. We were doing hundreds of millions of mo- uh, minutes a month of BlueJeans meetings. And yet Zoom is the one that went IPO first and has a higher valuation and to be argued, arguably is doing really, you know, much better as a business. And if you sit down and you talk to Chris, who is the CEO of, or former CEO of BlueJeans, or Eric, who's the uh, CEO of Zoom, they'll tell you why. They both agree 100% on this. And that is that Blue Jeans was just ruthlessly focused on the needs of their users. They listened to them. Blue Jeans, on the other hand, was more focused on the needs of the buyer, uh, which is like the CIO. And this is one of the things that's changing with the future of work um, genre of software is that the user is really the more important thing to focus on. If the user uses your software and loves it, the buyer will have to buy it. You're no longer in this universe where you just go to the CIO and you say, hey, 
I have this super cool video conferencing technology. <laughs> it's called Skype Plus. You've, you guys should all use it. And let me take you out to a football game and we'll get all, you know, drunk and all this other kind of stuff. And at the end, I'm going to stick this contract in front of you and you're going to sign it. Right? I, I'm being a bit provocative here. But in many respects, respect, that's very accurate. <laughs> that's the distortion of enterprise software. It's why enterprise software is so bad. That's right. right? You know, nobody wants to go home. It's like, oh, why can't I use SAP in my house? Right? Because nobody wants to. It's terrible because it's built for the CIO. But for if we're caring about the individual's productivity, the user is what matters. And Dropbox knows this, Airtable knows this, Notion knows this, Superhuman knows this, we know this. And so that is what you focus on and those users will then get you business. And Zoom proved that, Slack has proved that. Wonderful insight. I mean, you can apply that insight to anything, whether you work for big corporate America or, or you're a startup IT shop, you're essentially creating pull through by creating the, the lowest barrier to entry possible for your end users to go out and try the, try the system, right? Yeah, I and mean, it makes everybody's life easier. Now when you're going in to sell to a company, it's like, okay, 10% of your people are already using my product, so how about you know we give you an enterprise deal? And if you're really smart about it, you're like, okay, this enterprise deal is not only going to be a discount for you, but I'm going to actually solve some enterprise problems that you care about. Like in our case, you know, we'll protect the calendar data in a way that can't be protected inside of Outlook or Google. Every single calendar event in Outlook that is sent outside the company, all that information is shared with the other people. So it either becomes a place where, you know, it's a, an information leak or it's a productivity drain that you have to store that information in in some other place, not the case with a with company like Google. You can uh, have things like analytics where like if you're using a product like Slack in a small team, maybe not that, that critical, but if that's if all the small teams in your company are starting to, to use the product, then you kind of care about certain aspects of how people are working and using that technology. And so the enterprise cares about those things. So there's lots of things that can be sold to the enterprise if all the users are already using it. If we go the other way, I'm salesforce.com and I just sold to the VP of sales and the CIO my new system. What's the first thing that's gonna have to happen? You're gonna have to go and implement that system. And you're gonna have a whole bunch of change management and training sessions and all this stuff to try to get the salespeople to actually do it. And CRM is an interesting one because CRM you know, has a very high failure rate of enterprise deployments because salespeople generally don't like CRM tools, they're not for them. They're for the sales leadership. They don't make their lives better. They use only what they have to. They only do the bare minimum to quote Mike Judge from Office Space. It's very true. And, uh, and so this future of work enterprise productivity software that companies like Superhuman and we are, are building, we don't suffer from that. We can't afford to have to have our users be trained to use the product. We have to build something that's intuitive enough that you can kind of figure it out pretty quickly. And that's not easy, by the way. It's really, really hard. But it makes a better experience when you do it. I'm, I'm curious. This discussion is incredibly insightful, and, and thousands of people are going to be able to take action, action items away from this. I'm curious, you know, when you make the, the, the transition from working for a large company to smaller company or startup, right, some of the things you lose, and I can speak about this personally, and I'd like to see what, uh, what you think about it, Tim, is um, not only just the water cooler talk, let's call it, right? And that's just, we can have a whole nother discussion about that of, of just kind of human relations behind the whole thing. But, but really, the, 
staying on top of market trends and and you know, right keeping keeping your pulse on who the first movers are in every specific industry where you usually have that type of visibility being part of a large company versus a small one. Um, now you may be a little bit different based on your your history, Tim. But but how do you stay on top of the the industry trends right now so that you you know how to shape and mold your company? Or is it asking the question another way? Are you creating a new playing field for yourself where you don't feel like uh, you have anyone to really use yourself as a benchmark? Because quite frankly, you're making a new way to do things. So what are your thoughts on that? I do think you lose things when you um, when you leave a larger organization. And there's a, an important aspect of that transition. But it's not in your question. And it's... Um, I actually don't think that you'd lose the opportunity to keep up on what's going on in the industry. You know, thanks to podcasts like yours or to, you know, a lot of industry trade rags, you know, they're more effective than anything in helping to keep up to date on stuff. So I had that before I was at Facebook and during Facebook and after Facebook, and that's helped me stay on top of it. There's another inherent part of your question though, which is, are you a category or are you playing in somebody else's category? And I think this is the hardest part of the entrepreneurial journey, particularly on the product market fit stuff. We are essentially not an existing category. There's nothing like woven that's out there. But we have to be careful about that because if we position woven as this intelligence layer on top of the counter, that's not what a lot of people are looking for. They want it. They could benefit from it, but they don't know that. So you have to do a lot of education on what the category is. You can do other things, which we have done, which is, okay, you can position your product as playing in an existing category. So you don't have to define your differentiation in terms that are new and different for people. You can just say, hey, we're a calendar app and you, you do what calendars do, but we do them better. That's a little dangerous. It's easy up front, but now you just lumped in all these other people as competitors and you have to answer the question why your product is better. I think the reality and ask me six, 12 months from now is you kind of have to, this is like a knife edge. You have to manage it very carefully. At some point, you're way better off defining your own category, but it's way easier said than done. And, you know, in, in our case, when I think about things like Calendly, which on the surface could be considered a competitor if our category is scheduling tools, I'm not too worried about it because there's a whole bunch of things that we're looking at doing that are beyond scheduling. And Calendly could never do those things because it's not what that product is, is built. So it doesn't mean I ignore them. I honor and respect them. I also know that both of us, we only account for a small percentage of all meetings that are created. So there is a universe where both companies could achieve 10x growth and we'd still not be necessarily fighting with each other. So I don't need to create enemies or people that are competitors unnecessarily. I'd much rather look at the world that we can go off and tackle on our own, find our own greenfield. All the better making your own playing field, if you will. But uh, the part, hard part is essentially sharing the message so people can relate to what your product actually is, right? Yes. Against an existing tool that they know. We, we actually have the same problem in our firm. Our close rate, let's say, is near 100% because once people find us, they're like, well, this is excellent. Who else are your competitors? Well, there aren't many, and that's our problem. If we just had somebody on top of a mountain top with a loud horn telling people the service exists, people would come, right? And so that's, um, as you were describing that, I was kind of relating it to our own personal story here. So that's uh, that's really great. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is one of the, the, the learnings for me. I mean, as a CIO, CIOs generally don't have a hard time marketing. 
everybody knows the IT department at your company. They may or may not like them, but they know who they are and they have an idea of what they can do. So the, the marketing challenge is, I mean, there is a marketing challenge, but it's, it's easier. You've got a captive audience and you're the preferred vendor of choice, right? Most people, the sales department would rather get their solutions from the IT department. They'll go someplace else if they can't, but you know, the IT department has their own budget people and they are all carrying the same domain as, as we are. So let's get let IT do it if we can. But you know, when you're the outside vendor, you got a different challenge, right? So you got to make sure that everybody knows who you are and that they know that they can trust you. And uh, so marketing, I, I have found to be a very interesting learning for me in this entrepreneurial journey. One that I understood it intellectually, but having been a CEO, now I have a completely different perspective of the challenges. So Tim, w when you were thinking about becoming an entrepreneur here, right? And if you could speak to that person now, so take your present day and you could talk to that person right when you first start started thinking about this whole entrepreneurship journey, what would you tell that person? What are some key insights you would share those, with those people, right? And, and I, I say that more generally and you can relate it back to yourself, but you know, there's a lot of listeners to the show that are very senior IT people, um, such as yourself, right? That quite frankly, I can hear them uh, this is what I want to do. Tim literally is doing what I want to do, but I'm scared as hell to leave my cushy job, right? What what feedback would you give them? Well, there's no time like the present. Yeah. <laughs> if it's something Just you jump. truly want to do, there's <laughs> no time like the present. I, I had a life coach. This is almost a dozen years ago now. And one of the ways that he helped me get motivated to do things that were tough, which included quitting my job at KLA 10 core, another perfectly good job that I left, which created the opportunity for me to go to Facebook. It also included, you know, me leaving Facebook to go create Woven, is he had me write down on a card, you know, like an index card. I made a little grid on it. And he's like, okay, let's put years on it, starting with the year that you were born. And I don't know why he did this, but he gave me a hundred years to live. And so we wrote out all the years. And then we did a nice big circle of where we were on that lifespan. And the point was that like, you know, you can think about all these career objectives or lifelong things that you want to go off and do, but if you don't consider time in those, you can easily back yourself out of being able to do them. And it created some urgency for me that, okay, when I was the CIO of Kelly Tinker, I was like 32 years old. I was one of the youngest CIOs in the Fortune 500. I had all this time seemingly in my head in front of me. I, I had all the time in the world, but I didn't. And his uh, coaching really helped me see that, you know, look, if I was going to get an MBA, I'm not going to do it when I'm 55 years old. I should do it now. If I'm going to go become an, an entrepreneur, I'm not going to do it at the end, the very end of my career. I want to do it like at least in the middle, which means soon. So get yourself ready for that. So my advice to anybody who's ever thinking about this is you know there's no time like the present. It's, it's don't wait. Moreover, there's all these things that you can be scared about. That's because you know what the downsides are. You can calculate them. Like oh, what if I fail? You know what that looks like. What if this thing never makes any money? You know what that looks like. And it's hard to look at the upside or even the more probable side of things. But if you're able to be honest about it, you can really understand what you're expected value or expected return is even that though is really kind of a quantitative analytical way of thinking about them 
Like this is life. No risk, no reward, no guts, no glory. And maybe some people are the safe type and don't quit your job. Stay in your safe, cushy job. That's what you should do. But if that statement offends you and pisses you off, like that's not me. Well, then damn, you're in the wrong spot. That's a great way of putting it right there. Yeah. Pressure test that statement against your own consciousness yeah. and see what happens. Yeah. Because it pisses me off when you just said it. And I'm not, you know, that's great. You know, that's what I was like. That was it right there. And I was like, I don't need this crap. I'm not going to go work for any. I have a hard time working for anyone. I need, I just learned that about myself. So I just went off and did my own thing. Worked like hell for a year to get things started. But boy, after that, it's just, uh, it's the most rewarding thing ever. And I, it's essentially what you've just shared, Tim. So thank you very much for sharing that. If people want to get a, in, in touch with you, Tim, how would they might be able to do that? Uh, I'm, I'm easy to find. Uh, I got a great Twitter handle, T Campos. Uh, you can uh, look me up there. It's a ton of stuff about Woven uh, online. Just Google us at Woven or the Microsoft, the Apple, or iOS app stores. Search for Woven or go to woven.com and you know learn more about the product. And any final thoughts you want to share with the audience? This has been a wonderful interview. Really enjoyed your questions. These were a lot of fun, and it's really reminding me why I chose this line. Why I chose to leave Facebook to start the company. That, um, like I said, there's no time like the present. The journey is really three quarters, maybe seven eighths, maybe you know, uh, ninety nine out of a hundred. The value of the entire experience, and you know, things. Rome wasn't built in a day either. So you know, the, the other side of this is being a little bit patient and gentle with yourself. That. And you try stuff and it doesn't work right away, don't give up. Just keep going. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Tim. There, there you have it, team. The founder and CEO of Woven, Tim Campos. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's conversation, please share this podcast with one person you think who would enjoy it. For show notes, episodes, and more, please visit thenegotiator.guru. Look forward to hearing from everyone soon. Thanks, and we'll talk to you soon.